All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Welcome back to Making the Argument with Nick Freitas. You're probably wondering, why did we not have this podcast up yesterday as regularly scheduled? And the answer to that one is very simple. It's because we wanted to see what was going to happen on January 6th, like the one-year anniversary. Um, what were the comments going to be made? What, if any, protests were going to take place? And we, we wanted to see all of that unfold so that we could give you analysis of what took place and kind of what our, what our take is on this the day afterwards. And so we're going to start off this episode by actually reading off the comments I wrote because I want to be intellectually honest about what I thought then and what I think now. And you guys as the audience get to decide whether or not you agree with what I had to say and if you agree with my current position. So we're going to be talking about all of that and more on this episode of Making the Argument where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Okay, I'm going to start off because I think this is appropriate because there's a, there's a lot of people in politics that they say one thing at a particular moment and then, you know, months, years later, all of a sudden, they're, they're kind of putting a different spin on, on what they thought about something. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read off what I wrote on January 7th, a year ago. So this is right after all of the events at the Capitol on January 6th. And I had a lot of people you know, again ask me what my stance was, what my position was. Um, obviously, there was a lot of concerns over election fraud and what sort of role that could have played in election outcomes. Uh, my own re congressional race that I had been involved in was incredibly close, and there was some things that happened um, with, with voter issues in that race that caused a lot of people to question the outcome. I, I did not come out and claim that the election had been stolen from me, but we were talking about some of the problems that had taken place and trying to evaluate, and that's why I didn't, you know, I didn't concede on election night or anything like that. We were actually going through the process of trying to figure out what exactly happened and how we could correct it. But January 6th takes place, and I'm one of the candidates that has been in one of these highly contentious races where there was some problems with voting. And so here's what I wrote. I said, I have a lot of, had a lot of people ask me what I think of the events that took place yesterday at the Capitol. My response is going to be a long one. If you don't care what my thoughts are, I understand. If you do, then I would ask you to read my whole post, not just the parts you may or may not agree with. Believe it or not, I don't particularly like politics, and yesterday provides one more example of why. Ultimately, I did not get involved in politics to promote a particular party or a particular candidate but rather to promote a view of how government should and should not interact in our lives. A critical part of that view is the attempt to convince people that while government has a place in society, it is not society itself. Another critical component is the understanding that while individuals tend to solve problems by genuine cooperation and compromise, 
Government solves problems through force and coercion. Individuals ask you to do things. Government tells you to do things. When people have become convinced that government is the primary way we address problems or adjudicate differences, force tends to follow, whether it be through the law or through the individual actions of people convinced of this way of thinking. For months, we have watched as politicians, the media, academia, and other political and cultural institutions have either been silent or given approval to rioting, destruction of private property, and the harming of innocent people under the auspices of achieving justice. Some of these same politicians, reporters, and professors are now shocked when another group of people have decided that their concerns over injustice warrant a similar response. You cannot act in such a way that diminishes people's faith in processes and institutions and then act surprised when people turn on those processes and institutions. If you claim that the system is irrevocably rigged, racist, sexist, bigoted, you do not get to then turn around and appeal to those processes and institutions for the peaceful adjudication of problems. And yet, that is exactly what many in positions of influence have done. Simultaneously condemning such institutions as corrupt when it suits their purpose, and then holding them up as models to be followed when they approve of the outcomes. I don't pretend to know or fully understand the feelings or motivations of those who violate long-held principles to affect political or societal change. I do know, from having served overseas, that it is seldom produces the outcomes people claim to desire. I would no more have stormed the Capitol yesterday than I would have thrown a brick through a window in Richmond or Seattle. But I will not feign surprise when one group of people adopts the tactics of another group when they perceive them to be effective. What angers me the most is that the actions of those who engage in such tactics reinforces that a large component of the population has decided that violence is the best way to adjudicate problems. This will inevitably lead to both sides engaging in greater political tribalism and cults of personality. The end result being more government control and intervention at the expense of individual liberty and freedom. Many of our citizens, regardless of party, appear to have decided that control of the government in order to force other people to do what they want is the primary goal of political engagement. If this is true, then no matter which side wins, my whole reason for engaging in political process loses. To those on the left, I encourage them to consider the consequences of convincing millions of otherwise peaceful people that force and coercion, whether instituted by a rioter or by a government, is an appropriate way to achieve justice, peace, and prosperity. To those on the right, if we truly believe in the values we espouse, then we had better get our act together on the cultural front. Had we not conceded the debate in education, the arts, entertainment, and other areas of life so critical to making an argument for what we believe, do you really think we would be in the position we find ourselves? Although we now... Although we know election fraud exists, if we really believe that election fraud is the only way to explain the latest results, I would argue that we are deluding ourselves. The difficult work of building and maintaining a free society includes the ballot box, but it begins in the home and our communities. I fully recognize that this response is likely to anger many on both sides of the debate. The reason I offer it is because I believe it to be true. My responsibility as a Christian, as a citizen, as a representative should always be to fight for the truth as opposed to that which may be politically convenient for the moment. I will continue to do so and accept the corresponding consequences. So that's what I had to say on this issue right after it happened. right? And the reason why I think it's important for you to know that is, again, I'm going to talk about how I, how I see this issue now. 
And when we do a proper evaluation of the left and right perspectives on this, I want to make sure that you guys knew what I said at the moment. And I will say that I largely believe everything, I, I, was, I believe everything that I wrote there, I believe that now. That one of my biggest concerns about all of this has been the increasing trend of the idea that if I think something is good or if I think something is preferable, then it's okay for me to use force and coercion to compel other people to do the same thing, provided that I go through the political process to do it. And some people have decided that, well, gosh, just cut out the middleman. Because, again, after all, if the government is racist and bigoted and, and steeped in white supremacy, well, then clearly you're not going to be able to trust it to do the right thing, so you have to take matters into your own hands. Right? That, that is a logical conclusion if you really believe those things. So let's talk a little bit about not only the left position and the right position, let's talk about reasonable and unreasonable. And I fully recognize that this is my opinion on what's reasonable and unreasonable. You as the audience get to decide for yourself. When I look at the left-wing perspective on January 6th, and I had a conversation with a reporter a couple months ago on this, and she really saw this as just a, a horrific event. Now, she wasn't comparing it to you know, Pearl Harbor or 9-11 like Kamala Harris did. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. She was just saying that she really saw this as, as kind of an overall assault on something that unites us or something that's supposed to unite us, and that being our, our institutions of government and specifically the capital. Right? This idea that the capital is a symbol of our representative form of government and to threaten it in any way is kind of a direct attack on Americans and, and America itself. And that's why she saw it as being just, just horrific. And I look at that, I look at that analysis and I say, you know what? We, we may have some disagreements on some fine points, but I don't disagree that that is horrific. I don't disagree that it is absolutely wrong for people to storm the Capitol, steal things, break things, threaten people. I, I don't agree with any of that. And I think people that do that should be prosecuted, afforded due process of law, but they should be prosecuted, and if found guilty, they should be punished. Right? There, there's no disagreement with that position. And, and I think what you see from most conservatives is that they, they agree that on the, you know, people on the left that see it from that perspective, through that lens, I, I, I find that to be perfectly reasonable. And again, I'm not trying to be arrogant here, and I'm not trying to say that if I say it's reasonable, it's reasonable. I'm just saying that I personally find that to be a reasonable position. This was something bad. It shouldn't have happened. People need to be punished and people need to analyze why it happened and, and protect to make sure it doesn't happen in the future. I have no problem with, with any of my friends on the left that take that position with January 6th. Here's the part that has been really frustrating to me and I think frustrating to a lot of conservatives and, and what I think dips into the realm of the unreasonable. And that is when you have someone like Kamala Harris comparing January 6th to 9-11 or Pearl Harbor. And I'm not just talking about the, the sheer carnage of it all. Because if, if you look at what happened in January 6th, and, and you, we can all concede that this was, this was bad, right? And I, and I don't mean just like passing, like, okay, that was bad, but it's not a big deal. No, I think it was bad, and I do think it was a big deal. 
But to compare it to 9-11 where thousands of people, thousands of innocent people were murdered. To compare it to Pearl Harbor when thousands of Americans were murdered. Pearl Harbor charted in our, our entry into World War II, the largest global conflict in world history. 9-11 was, was the impetus for the longest war in U.S. military history. And the idea that you're going to look at that and you're going to compare that with January 6th, that is the part where a lot of people on the conservative side go, okay, we're not being reasonable anymore. Because we're, 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 we're not displaying any sense of proportion. And one of the things that I think was really important about this and I can't even remember who the commentator was, but they, they made a statement, and I overheard it, and I said, you know what, I, I think there's something to that. And what he was saying is that the reason why some people on the left, he wasn't saying all Democrats, he wasn't saying anybody that's left of center, he was saying the reason why some people, especially some of these prominent liberals, or, or leftists really, are making such a big deal out of January 6th is not simply from a political standpoint, right? Because the, the politics, you can see how a situation like this could be manipulated for political purposes, right? Rather than focus on the fact that you can't get Build Back Better through or that crime is rising or that all these other bad things are happening, right? Now we're just gonna, we're gonna focus on January 6th because that is a black eye for the right. And so we're gonna put a great deal of emphasis on this and we're gonna constantly try to elevate it as one of the greatest threats that our democracy has ever, and again, I know we're a republic, not a democracy, but that's, that's their narrative, right? One of the greatest threats that our, that our country has faced in recent history. And so they're, they're elevating it to the, these other ideas because they want it to be, um, they want it to have an impact for their political objectives. And you can look at that and say, okay, that's one side of the equation, but, but then he went on to say that, because that's not the only side of this though, a big part of this too, is it's the desire to be a victim. Because let's face it, if you were actually in the Twin Towers on 9-11, if you were on one of our ships in Pearl Harbor, and all of a sudden an attack strikes and thousands of people are dying and people are jumping from their deaths from several stories up in the sky to avoid the flames that is, as it is coming after them, there, there are two feelings that we have in that moment. One is a feeling of sympathy and genuine empathy for the victims. The other is a feeling of gratitude toward those people that operated in heroic ways amidst those events. And this desire to elevate January 6th to the same sort of circumstances or conditions as Pearl Harbor or 9-11 creates an environment where someone either gets to say, look, I'm a victim just like X, or I'm heroic just like X. It's essentially, it's essentially this desire to be associated with either victimhood or heroism. And the only thing I can really equate it to is stolen valor, right? It's this idea that, no, what I went through was nowhere near as horrific as the thing I'm comparing it to, or what I did in that moment was nowhere near as heroic as what people had to do in those moments when they were literally running back into burning buildings to save people. 
or fighting back against wave of wave of wave of Imperial Japanese fighter aircraft. But it gives you the idea, if you're elevating it to those things, then now all of a sudden, whatever you might have done in that situation, you can either appeal to that same degree of sympathy that we feel for the victims or appreciation that we feel for the heroes. And that's the part that really bothers me. Not simply for kind of the, the larger societal implications of false comparisons, but because you're, you're, you're creating an environment now where you're trying to steal something for your own personal or political benefit that doesn't belong to you. And that is where just genuine, general unreasonableness about the analysis of January 6th goes over from unreasonableness into something that is truly just perverse. Just perverse. All right, so I beat up a little bit on the left on this one. Now, and this again, this is the part that's going to get me in trouble, but this is also the part for why we do this podcast. Now, I'm going to beat up on the right a little bit because there is an unreasonable approach from the right on this as well. And the unreasonable approach essentially comes down to, well, they did it, so we're going to do it. We're going to fight fire with fire. And this has become, this has become a very, very appealing approach to the issues that we're, we're facing right now. It's this idea that, wait a second, the left has decided that these are the rules we're going to play by, so if they're going to play by them, so are we. And, and I, I get it to some degree. But when that leads us to a position of having to abandon any sort of intellectual honesty or consistency when somebody on our side does something wrong, then we're losing. I mean, you can point later and say, okay, well, yeah, well, they did it, and, and then, bam, they just got hit back too. No, 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 we're losing. We lose in that equation, period. The side that is willing to surrender its own principles, and I'm not talking about, you know, oh, it's, you know, we're fighting Marquis of the Queensberry rules and, and they're fighting a street fight. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you do something that you know violates your principles and your ideas in order to achieve an objective, you lose. Period. And that needs to be said on the right. And this is, this is not me trying to chastise anybody. This is me trying to say that, look, the reason why I'm fighting here the reason why I'm on these, Tim, is, is to fight for a certain set of principles. That's why I'm doing this. And if you lose yourself in the fight for those principles, if you lose the very principles that you thought you were standing upon in order to achieve your objectives, you become nothing more than the cheap, transactional activist that you thought you were standing up against. So don't do it. I'm not saying don't fight. I'm not saying don't fight smarter. I'm not saying don't call people out. But we also have to have accountability on our own side. And when somebody crosses a line, I'm not saying you go and, and you know, engage in this process now where the left is constantly calling for us all to apologize over everything. I'm not talking about that. There are definitely areas where it's like, no, I'm not going to apologize to someone that's not interested in the apology, and I'm certainly not going to apologize if I haven't done something wrong. But if something transpires that I know is wrong, 
and myself or someone on my side of this argument, this intellectual argument, is guilty, then I'm going to accept responsibility because accepting responsibility is one of the core attributes of American conservatism. It's one of the core attributes of individual liberty. So that's the unreasonable side. Like, look, I'm, I'm sorry. As frustrated as we are about something, we cannot allow us to be carried away with passion in order to be either talked into doing something or advocating for doing something that is wrong, that is just fundamentally wrong. All right, so what's the reasonable on the, on the, on the right? What's the reasonable side on this? Because there's been some other things that the right has commented on that the press has slammed us for that I think is totally inappropriate. Like, for instance, there's been questions asked about what, if any, federal agent's involvement was involved in this process, right? Because there were federal agents that infiltrated certain groups that were, you know, bad news groups. There were other groups that they had infiltrated just to investigate to see if they were bad news groups. And as we're getting more information with respect to things like the, the kidnap attempt or the kidnap plot with Governor Whitmer, we're starting to realize, okay, wait a second, we, we need to distinguish between whether or not an organization was looking to do something or whether or not federal agents that were assigned to that organization for the purposes of infiltration, were they the ones responsible for pushing an organization in a particular direction? Because there's a difference there. Right? There is a big difference between infiltrating an organization, going undercover, in order to identify criminal activity that is taking place or being encouraged or is being planned, and infiltrating an organization and actively encouraging certain types of behavior and then arresting people for it after the fact. Right? There is a difference there. I'm not saying that absolves everybody within a particular group that might have been doing bad things already. I'm not saying that absolves them. But I'm saying that there is a difference with respect to the tactic that's being done and the way that the law generally approaches this. So asking questions about why someone like Ray Epps, who we've all got video of, or we've all seen video of, standing on their streets, so we've got to storm the Capitol. And you've got some people cheering him, you've got other people going, no, that's a bad idea. You've got other people going, that's a Fed. Now, I don't know if Ray Epps is a Fed. I, I have no idea. Here's what I do know. I do know that when you've got a video of someone that is encouraging people to storm the Capitol, and that's supposed to be the thing that the January 6th committee is investigating, and they know where the guy is, and the guy's not on any of the lists, well, at that point, you start to wonder, okay, did, <laughs> did he turn state's evidence, right? Did he, did he start working after the fact? Did he start working before? Those are not unreasonable questions. Now, what, what the right also has to acknowledge is that the left also asks those questions when federal agents have infiltrated an organization on the left. And, and again, it's reasonable when we ask the question, it's reasonable when they ask the question, and then we should allow the evidence to determine what our final position is on that, right? And we should get be able to get access to that evidence through a committee meeting. It shouldn't be something that is just pushed aside if this was a, a significant contributing factor to what was going on. Another reasonable conservative position is to say, look, if you want to say that this was a riot, if you want to say that there was vandalism, if you want to say that there was threats and intimidation, we agree with all of that. But if you want to say that this really was some sort of, of insurrection on, on par with 9-11 and, and you know, the Civil War. Like, okay, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to concede that. Not because I don't think what took place on, on January 6th was bad. I do think it was bad. 
I, I, do, I do think that there were people there that thought that they were going to do something in order to slow down or prevent the process from taking place. And, and I think that's wrong, right? I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating for any of this. I'm not giving any excuses for it. But to try to elevate it to this level goes back to the previous point I, I was trying to make, and that is you, you're, you're entering into a realm that is not only unreasonable, but is essentially trying to elevate your own political objectives by putting yourself on par with victims of 9-11 or Pearl Harbor or heroes of 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. And that's just cheap. It's petty. It's pathetic. And I don't think it's inappropriate for us to call that out, but I do think it's highly inappropriate when the, when the right is pointing out something very reasonable like that to have people say, oh, well, you're denying that January 6th was a bad thing or you're providing cover for it. No, I'm simply speaking of it in correct proportion. I'm not downplaying that it was bad. I'm simply responding to your insistence on elevating it to something it wasn't. And a reasonable person should be able to sit down and say, this was bad, it should be investigated. People that, that perpetrated or participated in a legal way should be punished. Okay, but we're not going to compare it to something that it, it's not comparable to. Because then we misdiagnose the problem. And the same token, it is appropriate to say, okay, why are things like this happening? And we don't just mean at the Capitol. Why are they happening all across the country? Why do more people feel like rioting, looting, violence, and intimidation is the proper way in order to make their grievances heard? That's an important question, and it has to apply to more to January 6th if we're actually serious about getting to the bottom of this. And here's the point that I have taken from the beginning. It's the reason why I wrote what I did the way I did on January 7th, a year ago today. It's because ultimately we are starting to see a society that has been taught that the primary way that you solve problems is through force and coercion. And as long as you do it through the government, it's okay. It's acceptable. That's what it's there for. It's not there to protect your individual liberty or to protect your ability to go out into the marketplace and, and trade goods and services to your benefit and to the benefit of your customers. No, 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 it's not for that. It's to reorganize society in a way that you think is preferential. And yeah, the government has a legal monopoly on the use of aggressive violence, but that's okay because that's the process we use, so now we're going to go use it. It's no longer a question of you and I sitting down and discussing a particular problem, which may or may not have a government application or purpose or role, it's no longer about you and I sitting down discussing the problem and then both of us getting to try different things to address that problem and letting working together when it makes sense and leaving each other alone when we disagree. No, it's no longer about that. It's about we've had a discussion, we disagree, and now we're going to enter into the political realm to compel you to do what we want. So even in that process, you've planted the seed that the idea on how you solve problems is not through voluntary cooperation or live and let live or tolerating other people and making your own decisions and taking responsibility of them and not infringing on the rights of others. No, 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 it's not through that. It's not through the marketplace of ideas, no. It's through the political process. And when we win, we're gonna punish you and we're gonna do things you don't like and when you win, you're gonna do the same to us and this is what we've now decided on as the, way to, as the primary way to solve problems. 
Well, of course, that is problematic in and of itself. But then when you go the extra step and you say that because I haven't gotten what I've wanted through the political process, therefore the political process is irredeemably corrupt. And so I have to take matters into my own hands. And this is the part where I'm sorry. But how many leading members of the left are actively engaging in this sort of behavior, pushing it in our schools, pushing it in our universities, pushing it within pop culture, and then they come back and they act shocked when the philosophy they have been pushing gets applied in a way they didn't anticipate. So if we really want to address this problem, I'm going to go back to what I said initially. We have got to engage not only in the political spectrum, we've got to engage in the culture. And we have to once again remind people that what living free means, what living free means is that you have a right to pursue your hopes, dreams, ambitions, objectives, provided you don't infringe on the rights and liberties of other people while you're doing it. And the only way to actually have a genuinely free society is to allow for the fact that other people are going to make different decisions that you might not agree with. And genuine tolerance and genuine coexistence is saying, as long as you are not infringing on the rights and liberties of others, you are free to do what you want. And I may try to convince you to do something different. I may try to convince you that the way you are doing things or the, or the, the values that you're living are going to cause you more harm than good. But I'm not going to descend into this this world where I force you to do what I want because I'm so sure I know what's best for you. If we're willing to accept that, then we can get back to a place where as a good friend of mine always points out, he goes, Nick, it's not just about liberty. Ultimately, it's about respect. And respect tells another human being that I value you. I do want the best for you. But I also respect your ability to make your own decisions. Because in turn, I also want to be respected to make my own. And the agreement that we're going to have to come to, not as a government, but as a community, is to once again return to the idea that if we are all free to pursue different things, the best ideas are implemented more effectively when people are free to choose those ideas based off of the positive results they have produced as opposed to the ability of a political party to impose them through force and coercion. And that needs to be the lesson, not just from January 6th, it needs to be the lesson from the entire summer and from a whole history that we have available to us. Centuries of lessons learned that we can now apply that once again reinforces the idea that a free society ends up being a tolerant one, not because of government dictates, but because individuals are truly free to be able to live their lives the way that they see fit while respecting the rights of others to do the same. That's the environment where the best ideas can rise to the top and be freely adopted based off of the results they produce, not the promises of self-interested politicians yearning for more power. I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Thank you for, very jo for joining us this January 7th. Apologize for the delay, but I hope you found it worth it. Please leave us a comment. Share this podcast. This is going to start some discussions that I think we need to have. We need to have.
So do that for us. Once again, like, subscribe. Thank you very much for your support. We're looking forward to 2022. We will be going into session next week. I'm looking forward to that as well. We'll be getting kind of a quick session update next Monday, or excuse me, next Tuesday. And then it is off to the races starting January 12th. Once again, thank you very much. And we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick. And once again, thank you for listening.